this is Angela Pretum with my new single, Hidden Wings, available on Apple Music and Spotify, or click the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. It's the Shegilola Salami Show. It's a podcast show set in a virtue cafe, and I'm your host, Shegilola Salami. The show is about books and publishing, but not like how you would imagine. Um, guests, you know, authors and non-authors come on the show. And at the end of each episode, and in this episode inclusive, you'll get to discover a new book, be motivated, inspired, or learn something new. If this is your first time listening to the show, um, please leave a comment via how you read, um, listen to the show, or leave a review, subscribe, share it with everyone in your network so that hopefully someone can benefit from what the guests have to say on the show. So without much ado, let's see who we've got in the virtual cafe with us. So who's in the, who have I got here with me today? Hi, I'm Loretta Bruning. I'm the author of Habits of a Happy Brain. Hi, Loretta. How are you? Good, thanks. It's nice to be here. <laughs> nice to have you. Well, it is a virtual cafe. Um, so what, what would you normally have if you go to Starbucks, for instance? Actually, I would normally have a decaf because I try to limit my coffee to when I'm writing. So when I'm out having fun, I just have a decaf. Okay. And what would you like to have with that? Because again, it is a virtual cafe, so you can have anything you want. Oh, are the croissants good? Because I hate bad croissants. (laughs) Oh, no, they're amazing. But I guess it depends on which country's croissant that you want. Because I've been to Paris and I didn't like their croissants. I found it to be very heavy. And then I've only been to Paris once and I've only had a croissant there once. But whereas I prefer the UK one, it's light, it's fluffy, and it just melts in your mouth. So we've got UK croissant. We don't have Paris croissant. Well, I had the most fabulous ones in the UK. It's true. And they were, I couldn't believe how good they were at a bed and breakfast. But he told us that they were frozen and he bought them in France. (laughs) Um, Frozen. (laughs) But they're all better than the ones we get in the US. So I will have a croissant, please. Okay, that's fine then. And a decaf. Cool. I love croissants. Like my, it's my favorite pastry and my daughter loves it as well. Uh, Okay, so tell us about yourself. Well, so I founded the Inner Mammal Institute. I study the animal brain and the happy chemicals. The chemicals that make us feel good are actually in animals too. And in the human world, we have trouble understanding what triggers them. But in animals, it's obvious what triggers them because animals don't try to disguise their responses. And when you know what triggers your happy chemicals in animals, it's like, oh, wow, now I understand what I'm always seeking and why I drive myself crazy. So I write books about that. Oh, cool. So what are you, so how many, when did you start writing? When did you first publish your uh, first book? And was that self-published or did you go with a trade publisher? Good question. Um, The first, it was self-published at first. Um, I tried for years and years and years to get commercial publishers on other projects without much success. And I took early retirement and I was like, okay, this is my last chance. I'm going to say exactly what I want to say. And after many, many tries, um, it was 2011 that uh, I had been a college professor for 25 years. 
Then I took early retirement. I spent like five years uh, researching and writing this. And then after I self-published it, nothing happened. So I wrote another that made it more, um, more self-help oriented. And then at, that one didn't get anywhere. So then I wrote another one. And then finally things started to happen and I got an agent, I got a, a commercial book contract, and now I have three commercial books. Those three commercial books are no longer self-published because they, um, I had to retire the self-published version. And then I have two more self-published books in addition. Oh, congrats. Thank you. How did you find your agent? Oh, it's a funny story. I joined a local self-publishing group, which I didn't love, but at the beginning of every meeting, everyone gets 20 seconds to introduce themselves. And at one of these meetings, he was there in that 20 seconds, and um, he contacted me out of the blue later on. I think he, he got the book then and read it and liked it. Um, it was the second book, the one that was more self-help oriented. Yeah. It was called meet your happy chemicals and i loved that title and then i had to let go of that title when the commercial book was published oh so what is it called now habits of a happy brain retrain your brain to boost your serotonin dopamine oxytocin and endorphin levels that's a mouthful <laughs> yeah yeah well the original one was meet your happy chemicals dopamine serotonin oxytocin and endorphin but yeah, yeah, I like mine better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So if I remember correctly, and just because I have baby brain, you said you were a professor for 25 years. Was that, did I remember yeah. correctly? What, yeah. what, what, was, what were you a professor in? Management, international management. So how did you get into science? <laughs> um, well, I did marry a scientist, but um, the main answer is that psychology was always an interest of mine and psychology is part of management and um the psychology there's a field called comparative psychology where they compare the human brain to the animal brain so an evolutionary psychology is a new field that was really um booming around when i retired and did not exist when i was in college so that's what i got excited about Oh, so, but then how did you get <laughs> yeah. that knowledgeable enough to write a book on it? Um, interestingly, my, um, I love audiobooks and I listen to audiobooks whenever I am driving, doing chores or exercising. So I go through a real lot of audiobooks. And in addition, I love to read books. And because I was, um, retired and I was studying, I was traveling. And uh, so I had a lot of time to read and I got through really huge number of books. And I was also um, very interested in, let's say doing therapy on myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, I finally had free time. My kids were grown up. I didn't have a boss and I just wanted inner peace, but I didn't believe like all the usual, you know, I shopped from one method to another and I looked for what rang true to me and ignored what didn't ring true. Right. Okay. So yeah, but it's, 
So I think what I've done, I'm trying to ask, let me see if I can ask the question properly. So you've written a book about all of these things. Did you write it from a healthcare professional or a scientist um, point of view, or did you write it from a layperson's point of view? Definitely a layperson's point of view. It's a great question. So that means a few things. So one is it's, I made it fun, easy to understand, and it's not like this study and this study and this footnote and that footnote, not at all. But the more important thing is I said things that you're not allowed to say in the academic world. And the reason you're not allowed to say them is a few things. One is just the simple academics, they have their little cubby holes and no one's allowed to say anything outside the little cubby hole of that field. Otherwise, they get attacked and say, oh, there's no proof. And so they never say anything. So that's why people can't understand academic books. And, and it's just a chore and the knowledge is just sitting there and no one has any insight. But a bigger thing is that in my whole life in academia, there's this mindset, which is our society is the problem. And that's a real lens that um, everything in psychology, for example, is always blamed on society, blamed on the system. And my work really shows how animals are not happy. That's the bottom line. And when we know that, then we know why our animal brain is not happy. Um, and that interferes with this whole ideology that you have to blame the system for your unhappiness. Mm. Okay. 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 So talk me through how you wrote your book then, because obviously you're coming from it from a lead point of view. Um, did you quote any sources? Like how, how can, because obviously it's self-help because I've heard... Hello? Hi. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can. I can. Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you? Yeah. So I was just sort of trying to see how, like, why would anyone take it seriously because you're talking about yes science okay. terms yes okay um two things um the first book i had more references and then each one i had less references because i realized that nobody was asking me the bottom line in my opinion is that what i was saying is so obvious that as soon as people read it they're like oh yeah and then once I say it, anybody can go look it up. So what I'm saying, so we humans, we have the unique part of our brain, which is the cortex, which is what you see, which is the giant reserve of extra neurons. But underneath our cortex, we have the same brain structures that other animals have. And those are the structures that control our chemicals. And what we've inherited from animals is an operating system that gives you happy chemicals when you go towards something that's good for, for your survival, it makes you feel good. When you see something that's bad for your survival, it makes you feel bad. But it defines survival in a quirky way. It cares about the survival of your genes and it got wired when you were a kid. So it defi defines survival the way your brain defined it when you were a kid. So that's why we all do quirky things to feel good. Hmm. Mm. I see. I see where you're coming from. Okay. So how many books have you written so far again? Um, well, I have five out now. 
Um, wow, well done. That, and then I have, you know, a bunch of others that I'm not really counting, but like when, while I was a professor. Okay. And I have so many more planned in my head, you know, it's like, I can't stop wanting to write another book. So it's sort of an addiction. And, and that's the whole thing that everyone has their little addiction and whatever feels good, it builds a pathway in your brain that says, this is the way to feel good. This is the, what you got to do to feel good. And that's why we all repeat ourselves and we all sort of struggle to feel good in new ways rather than being in a rut. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds, you know, that sounds quite interesting. So now all your books are now all published by this trade publisher. Not all, but um, <laughs> a trade publisher published two and then they didn't want any more. So then I found another trade publisher <laughs> um, and I was lucky because the first trade publisher got bought out by a big company, Simon & Schuster. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so now I have two books with Simon & Schuster and one with Rowan and Littlefield, Roman and Littlefield. Well, well done because a lot of authors, self-published authors, first-time authors, they struggle to get any um, publishers yes. to be interested in them. And somehow yeah. you've managed to bag two publishers. Go girl. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, is really hard. And all I have to say is first, and I say this in all my books is small steps, just constantly focus on the next step. And this whole idea of like dreaming big and going for something big, I mean, people get discouraged when you have these huge, um, aspirations because your brain only releases dopamine when it sees that you're like approaching the mountain when a monkey sees that it's approaching the juicy ripe fruit. But in daily life, we don't really see that we're approaching it when you have this big dream. So we really have to set ourselves tiny goals. It's just, you know, I'll be happy today if I get X done before lunch and Y done before dinner. And so that's what I just keep focusing on small steps. And it always feels like I'm getting nowhere. And then out of the blue, some great thing comes and it's due to something that I did a year ago or two years ago. So you got to keep taking those small steps instead of focusing on some grandiose dream. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what have you, you learned from, you know, from going through this process of writing your book, you know, and getting it published and market? What are the key things that you've learned and taken away from the process? Well, the thing I always talk about is social comparison, that that's how we drive ourselves crazy by comparing ourselves to others. And it was so mind boggling for me to learn that animals compare themselves to others with like sort of a desperate sense. And if you watch the nature videos of David Attenborough, which I love, yeah. and the old ones are better because he's, I mean, I'm not, he's not, I'm not quite as old as him, but, um, in, in the past, there was a lot of research on competitiveness among animals, and it was more acceptable to talk about. Today, all competitiveness is blamed on our society, and people ignore the fact that animals are like amazingly competitive. So if you're around other writers, and they're like 
weirdly competitive like a bunch of monkeys in a food fight. It's amazing. And then if you leave writers and you go with another group of people, they're amazingly competitive. So we have to really distance ourselves from that competitiveness feeling and really say, I'm doing this for me. That was what I constantly, I said, this is a reward to me. I'm doing it for myself because when I, and everyone has their own reason to do for themselves. So I'm not saying anyone should do it for my reason, but in my personal life, when I was young, I never had a right to my own feelings. My whole life was about my mother's feelings and not upsetting my mother and not asking for anything. And so for me to just be able to express myself, that was reward enough. And every day I wake up and say, wow, I get to express myself. And that's, that's what I like about it. Wow. That is so true. Um, and, you know, whilst you were saying that, I remember the conversation I had with another guest, you know, on my show and how we as women or as, you know, as female children, and I'm sure this, this is applicable to boys as well. We take a lot of things from our parents. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't realize, you know, how much of an impact things that we've not necessarily been directly told, but indirectly told through their actions and how they impact on us as young women and as adults ourselves. Yes, exactly. Although I have to say that in my family, my mother was a screamer and she expressed herself constantly. And my father was the one who bit his tongue and didn't dare say anything. And so I had these two models and I ended up being more like my father because I didn't want to be the screamer because I would get whacked. And so I, I never learned any alternative between totally biting your tongue and screaming. So that was my life challenge. And um, I'm lucky that I get to talk about it because I have very few relatives. So most people can't talk about it. So that's like another resource. We all have our struggles when we're young. And then if you look for the positive side, like my positive side was I ended up being free to say whatever I want. Yeah. And another angle of that is, um, so my children don't care about what I do. My husband doesn't care about what I do. So again, that leaves us, that leaves me free to say whatever I want. So I'm taking advantage of it. Oh, that's amazing. You know, you're in a really good um, situation. And I think I'm actually quite proud of this show because when I have conversations with people, right, it opens up things that a lot of people are thinking about, but they've not really had an opportunity to share it in real life. Yes, yes, that's great. Well, I'm definitely going to listen more. And it's really great that you give people a venue to do that. You know, because I'm just literally thinking about, you know, the previous guest that I had on the show. And we were literally almost talking about, you know, very similar things, but from her own, you know, point of view, um, you know, and with regards to how, you know, she was raised with her mother and the way. So from her mother's point of view is her mother was constantly sacrificing everything. So when she grew up, she kept feeling like, okay, I should put everyone else first before myself right? Because as an adult, now that I'm an adult, I no longer matter. And, you know, when she was saying that, I was also then thinking about my own mother, who also sacrificed everything for her children, constantly putting herself last, 
you know, over her children. Like she would feed everybody else, sort everybody else out before eating her own food. And so now when we were having that conversation and I was like, whoa, my life is playing out just like my mother's well, because I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'm doing everything for my daughter and sorting her out first before then thinking about myself. Yes. And so the reason we do this, it's amazing to learn. So first we all have mirror neurons. So we mirror the behaviors going around us. Second, we're not wired at birth. Our brains are just completely unconnected when we're born and they connect from actual experience. So we're all wired from whatever we actually experience. You know, my particular case, my father was um, the person who always put himself last. And I was lucky that I had that model because otherwise I'd be a screamer and where would that get me in life? Um, So whatever we're exposed to when we're young, it's amazing that Animals have very short childhoods because they have very few neurons. And the more neurons a creature has, the longer it takes to wire them up. And that's why humans have a long childhood and we get wired in our childhood. But we go around thinking, oh, I'm not thinking like a child. I, I re, rethought through everything as soon as I left home. But it's not true because we have this chemical called myelin, which coats our neurons and basically it's like paving on a highway that makes you have a super highway in your brain for anything you experienced when you were young. And then in later life, it's like you drive your car on the roads that exist rather than just driving your car directly from A to B where there's no road. So that's why we all repeat whatever was done when we were kids. Hmm. I mean, not exactly. We have the power to pave new pathways and to carve new trails. And that's what all my books are about, your power to carve new trails in your brain. But I explain why it's so hard and why your brain is really designed to use the trails that are already there. Yeah, because who does, who wants to do hard work, right? Everyone wants to just take the easy path. Exactly. And it actually feels dangerous when you carve a new trail in the back roads of your brain. But when you know why you have that endangered feeling, then you can do something new saying, oh, it feels wrong, but I can accept that wrong feeling because I know it's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds truly that's that's deep that's all I can say because I don't think I have words you know to explain like when you've got you know people are afraid of the unknown trying to do something different trying to be a trailblazer is scary yes but it's it's all of my work is you got to do it for yourself because everybody wants to think oh I'm a trailblazer I'm leading the world and that's the monkey thing because wanting to be the super monkey that dominates other monkeys is the natural impulse. And the whole idea that I have to fix other people is really a diversion from fixing oneself. But again, you don't have to consider it fixing yourself. What I say is nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with anybody, but we can all improve and we can take responsibility for our own improvement. Yes. Yes. You know what? I feel like the universe is telling me something, right? Because I'm having these amazing women come on the show to tell me all these things, right? That I'm having personal takeaways and I'm thinking, you know what? I need to be applying this to my life as well. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I was so glad that I had those, 
years that I could stumble around and find this. I wish I knew it when my kids were young. So I'm so glad that, you know, you get to pass it on. I talk to readers and they tell me how they discuss it with their kids. But like, my kids are already grown and they don't want to hear this stuff from me. Yeah, see, because now I think I'm definitely, because a lot of the times, you know, I always say to my daughter, you know what, I'm doing this for you first, because, you know, we have to, I say to her, because I'm a budgeter and I'm a planner, right? And I'm like, well, we yeah. have to plan this, so we will do this for you, we will do that for you. And most of the time, I don't say anything about myself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's wrong. So definitely to all the ladies who have come on the show in recent time, I'm telling you and all of the other ladies, thank you, right? Because you guys have helped me to reprogram my brain cells, right? Because I think there was some default setting in my brain. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? Also, it helps your kid in another way because a lot of parents project their own needs onto the kid. And so then it's saying, I want this for you, but really the kid doesn't want it. You really want it for yourself. And if you take responsibility for your own impulses, that gives the kid permission to take responsibility for their own impulses. Yes. Which is, it's like natural that we all have these impulses. We all have to manage them, but denying the impulse makes it harder to manage them. So that's why I start with the animal brain inside all of us. Yes, yes. No, that is, that is very true. Okay, well, what final words of wisdom um, can you share with everyone? I know I've gotten a lot from you already, but let's just, let's, I, like, I like bullet points. So can you do five bullet points? You know, let's see what final words of wisdom can we get from you? Yeah, so just to repeat uh, quickly what I already said, nothing is wrong with you, but everyone gets wired in our youth um, before age eight and during puberty. And those super pathways in your brain conduct electricity so efficiently that everything you do with your old pathways feels natural and normal. And the new point I want to make, I really avoid disease language. So, so many people talk about disorders, trauma, anxiety, and all those disease words, they, in, in the, in the United States, they help you get free treatment, and that's why people use them. And they also help people feel like, oh, it's not my fault. But they're really bad because then you identify as broken, and then you expect a doctor to fix you, and you think something's wrong with you. So it's much better to just define what is it that I need right now? And the way I do that is, which happy chemical do I need? Am I looking for a dopamine feeling or a serotonin feeling? Or an oxytocin feeling and I explain how animals get that and how you can get it and then carve a new trail to do that. Fabulous. Okay, remind us again, I know it's very long-winded, remind us with the, uh, the name of your book and how people can contact you if they need to. Great, so the book, you don't need the subtitle, the book is just Habits of a Happy Brain, Habits of a Happy Brain, and my website is innermammalinstitute.org, innermammalinstitute.org. Fabulous. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure um, chatting with you on the show. And I hope the listeners have gotten some value out of it. I know I have. Um, and hopefully we'll see you again sometime soon on the show. Great. I'd love to. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. 
Same here. Same. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to, an, to the end of another episode of the Shagilala Salami Show podcast. And my guest today was Loretta Bruning. Um, and I hope you will go and check out her book because I think she says some really amazing things. And you never know, you might get some value out of it. And I don't think it matters, even though I talk from a woman's point of view, and that's just because I'm female. But I'm sure, you know, guys, women, everyone can hopefully relate to something that she said today. Um, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, please do subscribe, do share it, leave a review. Um, I do like um, getting feedback from people who listen to the show. So thank you very much for tuning in. And until next time, it is the Shakilala Salami Show. Bye now.